Chapter 25 A Life-Threatening Condition Foylon watched his face in the mountain stream. Dawn was breaking, but the she need less sleep than humans and more time to think. He was too far away from the sea for comfort, but he sat cross-legged on a rock and listened to the sound of water bubbling over rocks. He closed his eyes, catching the scent of the horses and the ashes of last night's fire. He could smell the bracken, green and rank, the sharp acidity of peat, and beyond that, a whiff of early blooming gorse, the rich promise of summer. A wagtail bobbed on a rock upstream, flashing a yellow breast. Boylon's spirit dissolved, and he became no more and no less than any one of the pebbles at the edge of the water, chilled by the night and warmed by the morning sun. He understood that the situation required some kind of plan. They would meet his brothers, he thought, at the agreed place in three days' time. That would give him time to work out what to do. At the moment, if he was honest with himself, he had no idea. He cast his mind back to the day before, when Ronan had saved him from the Council of the Elders, putting himself at risk in the process. That must mean something, Fuelon thought. Then the wind changed and the smell of human sweat unsettled him. This was not something that the she were meant to like, but he did like it, and it made him feel confused and a little ashamed. There was such a thin line between revulsion and desire. Ronan woke to the sound of horses disputing the ownership of the bag of grain which one of them had pulled down from the tree where Foylon had hung it for safekeeping. The sun was rising, the fire was lit again, and Foylon was brewing something that smelt reviving. Ronan stretched. The horses are still here. With two days' supply of feed inside them, Foylon passed him a wooden bowl of tea. The trick with a pony like that is to let him feel that he has options. If you try to force it, he'll argue the point. That is how you manage me too, observed Ronan, drinking the tea. Come on, said Foylon, let's get on the road. The horses followed them, sure-footed, down a path so precipitous that it seemed incredible that they had climbed it in the dark. They came to a wider road that skirted the shoreline and rode on until the sun had reached its highest point. Then they dismounted and led their tired horses along the clifftop road. Ronan realised that he didn't know where they were going and that he felt unperturbed. In normal circumstances, travel was difficult for Ronan and any variation from the plan was intensely upsetting. But there was something about Ildahuk that calmed him. It was an unfamiliar feeling. He knew he could not have done this in the human world. Horse parsley bloomed in clusters along the verges. Foylon gathered some and put it in the saddlebag. Vegetables, he said succinctly, offering Ronan a handful of lime green flowers to chew on as they walked. Look up. Above the road, a pair of chuffs chased each other up and down the wind with penetrating cries. A third bird landed on a rock beside the path, crow-black and glossy, 
its legs and beak an improbable lipstick red. As far as Ronan was concerned, the birds made a noise like a car alarm, but Foylon was transfixed. Overhead go the chuffs in black cacophonous flocks, bits of burnt paper wheeling in a blown sky. Ronan looked at him, bemused. Sylvia Plath, Foylon explained, one of your poets. The chuff took flight with a chattering shriek. Ronan rubbed his ears. They walked on in silence with the black mare between them, her shoulder blades rising and falling with her gait. Foylon's attention turned to an unremarkable plant, its plain, fleshy leaves poking from between the rocks. He handed the reins of his mare to Ronan while he gathered leaves by the handful. Seabeat, he said, stuffing it into the saddlebag with the horse parsley. Delicious. Foylon, said Ronan firmly. What happened yesterday? Why did we have to leave? They began to walk again, letting the horses snatch a mouthful of grass from the roadside every now and then. When we found you in the forest, Foylon began, my clan debated what to do. It is true that they don't trust the man who gave you to the she, but there are very strong taboos around stealing hostages from another clan, so my brothers and I were given the job of bringing you back to Caramoyle. Kidnapping you was my idea. I persuaded my brothers to help me. Now, both the clans are furious, and my brothers and I have been outlawed. I was ordered to leave the island last night. Once they discover that I took you with me, there will be a pursuit. Why didn't you bring me back to Caramoyle? Three reasons, said Foylon. First of all, I think that it's wrong of the she to keep humans in a state of forgetfulness. They say that they have a choice, but they don't really, not after the first couple of days. It's slavery. The elders say that it's not because the humans get paid in gold and they can leave any time they want to. That can happen, but it's not always a good thing. Humans live much longer in Ildahach than they do in their own world. They come to their senses and go home with bags of gold to find that their families are dead and gone. That's not right. Foylon looked at the ground as he placed one webbed foot in front of the other. That's the first reason. The second is that it's illegal to keep a hostage without informing them, and I wanted to force the clans to look more closely at the Togon Treaty with Ethan Blake. He is... Foylon said something in she that sounded like rain on a pebbled beach. How do you say it in English, another idiom, going upwards into badness? Up to something? Exactly. Ethan Blake is up to something. He is in allegiance with the Togon Shi. We do not know what their agreement is, but we suspect that he has an agenda of which they are not aware. Knowing Ethan Blake, Ronan thought this was more than likely. But it also seemed that unless she diplomacy was very different from the human kind, kidnapping somebody's hostage was a strange way to go about opening negotiations. He was about to say so, but Foylon preempted him. My brothers think that I have taken the wrong approach. 
They fear that this will cause war between the clans. This seemed to Ronan like a legitimate concern. Foylon had not finished. There is a third reason that I did not bring you back to Carhamwell, and it is more difficult for me to explain. At this moment, Hobie, bored with their slow progress, spied something tasty in the hedge and made a lunge for it, treading on Foylon's foot. Foylon let out a volley of curses in she. Ronan took the reins of the mare and tied her to a branch. He didn't bother to secure Hobie, who took being tied up as an affront to his dignity. The pony was absorbed by whatever he had found in the hedge. He did not look like he was going anywhere. Ronan knelt down beside Foylon in the dust. Are you hurt? I don't think so, said Foylon, rubbing his injured foot. The ground was soft. I might lose the claw. He limped across the road and sat down in the long grass, looking out to sea, pulled a strip of dried fish from his pocket and tore it in half with his teeth. Eat. You are very thin. Ronan chewed. It tasted like fishy leather. He had always been thin, and the sparse Ildahuk diet had pared him down even further. You were saying, he said, the third reason. He liked the way that Foylon organised his thoughts into numbered sequences. It was a technique that he had often found helpful himself. Foylon swallowed the remainder of his fish and cleared his throat. The third reason is that I love you. Ronan stared at him dumbfounded. We've only just met. Foylon looked out across the sea, green and restless under a steely sky. You've only just met me, he said, but I've been in love with you for years, ever since I saw you on Design Bitch. That's not possible. I've watched every episode, Foylon explained. Actually, he had watched them all a great many times, but he knew enough about human mating rituals not to mention it. The she don't have television, Ronan objected. I spent two years in Dublin, studying your way of life. You have to spend time in the human world if you want to become a diplomat. All of the older universities have departments of human studies for visiting she. They just don't advertise them. Ronan looked over at the she, alien in substance and form. He did not look as though he could pass for a human. Foylon gave a half-smile. You're wondering how I went undetected. Contact lenses, depilation, and the incredible power of the human mind to normalise a situation. There's also something forgettable about us. In the same way that humans lose their sense of time in our world, they also seem to forget that they've seen us. And academics are expected to be odd. The university accommodated resident she deep in their oldest building, in rooms that had hardly been changed since they were built three centuries before, and Foylon lived there, homesick and alone. Television was an anathema to the she, but he had learned to use it, to watch, to record, 
to replay. One evening, he continued, I switched on the television and there you were. It was the episode where you arrived at this big barn of a place in the south of France. No electricity, no furniture, just this big, dark, echoing building. And everyone was complaining about what was wrong and why it couldn't work. And you just walked right into the middle of the floor and danced. It was a blur, at first, before the camera focused. And you were wearing this long white shirt that flew out behind you and your hair was shorter then, and you were whirling like seaweed around and around and around. And then you stopped, and told them exactly what you were going to do with the building. And you were right. It worked. But the look on your face when you were dancing. Ronan was experiencing a ringing in his ears, and a feeling that, while his body was sitting on the cliff top, another part of him was elsewhere entirely. Spinning is not a dance, he said. It is an autistic behaviour, like the thing that I do with my hands. The movement of your hands is called stimming, Foylon said. It brings comfort in times of stress. Exactly. I'm not always aware that I'm stimming, but it doesn't present badly on camera, so I tend not to worry about it. Spinning is much more personal. It is not something that I choose to do in public. Is it a meditation? It has become that over time. When I was a child, it was an emergency measure. If you're in an unbearable situation that you cannot leave, spinning makes it go away. That is what happened on the shoot. Ronan tore a bit of dried fish with his teeth, chewed and swallowed. It's the worst feeling in the world, losing control in public. Most of the time, I can hold it together, but that time I couldn't. And spinning looks stupid, but it's better than screaming. I knew the cameras were on, because they're always fucking on. And there's this thing in my contract, that they can use anything they shoot, but I never thought that they actually would. I mean, actually broadcasting somebody's meltdown? That's cruel. Only most people just thought that I was being a pretentious git. I thought it was magic, Poilon said. There was such power in it. I don't do magic, said Ronan, staring deadpan across the sea. So my love is based on misapprehension. Yeah, probably. I don't care, said Foylon. He took a deep breath. It's a very serious thing for a she to fall in love, much more so than for humans. What's the phrase for a disorder that can kill you? A life-threatening condition? Yes, for the she, love is a life-threatening condition. We call it the abode of death. When I came back to Ildahuk, I tried to put it out of my mind. I didn't even tell my brothers. But then I heard that you, you of all people, had been given as hostage to the Togon Shi. It felt like... Boylon said something unintelligible in Shi. Ronan looked at him blankly. The end that awaits us, said Foylon. Destiny. It is a much stronger concept for the Shi than it is for humans. 
But, like I said, we have protocols around hostages, especially from another clan, so I did nothing. He paused. It is not entirely true that I did nothing. I began to research your client, Ethan Blake, and I began to suspect that you had been given as hostage without your consent. It was because of this that I persuaded my clan to visit Carmoyle. To capture me? I never intended to capture you. I had hoped to speak with you. But when we found you in the forest, the temptation was too great. And here we are. He bent over to massage his injured foot. This is not what I expected, Ronan said awkwardly. But I am glad that my family will be told that I am safe. How will your brothers find them? I gave them your sister's address, said Fuelon, and I told them where your parents live and what bus to get to Tala. I couldn't remember the house number. Does your bedroom still have Star Wars curtains? Ronan nodded without making eye contact. You know that stalking people for years and then kidnapping them isn't acceptable behaviour. Can you think of it as a cultural difference? The she have been abducting their lovers for millennia. Humans too? Occasionally. There's tremendous prejudice against it. Why? Humans are fickle and we are not. It makes them dangerous to love. I have Asperger's, said Ronan. I am not fickle. But I'm not gay. I don't have sex with men. I know, said Foylon. But I'm not human. The silence that fell between them was punctuated by the sound of munching horses. Foylon moved closer. All she are born with both male and female parts, he said. When we reach a certain age, we choose our calling and our gender. Our bodies change accordingly, and we become either male or female. Did Isola tell you this? Ronan shook his head. Female she can conceal their male parts. I cannot. Taking Ronan's hand, Foylon showed him what he meant. Ronan held his gaze and removed his hand, but not as quickly as he might have done. Foylon growled, a low, deep rumble of desire. Then Ronan did something that astonished both of them. He leant over and kissed Foylon on the mouth. Foylon moved against him and Ronan felt as though he were falling from a height. It was nothing like kissing a human. Foylon flopped over onto the grass and looked up at the sky. He wanted to laugh from the pure joy of it, but he didn't. Ronan sat with his arms clasped around his knees. His heart was pounding. The waves rumbled on the stony shore and the air was sticky with salt. Sweet-smelling flowers bloomed in the grass around them. I am not fickle, Ronan said. Foylon put his arms around him and held him tight. Far above them a lark began to sing. Suddenly, they both realised that they could no longer hear the sound of horses cropping grass. 
they turned around. Foylon's mare looked at them quizzically from the hedge. Hobie was nowhere to be seen. Damn, said Ronan. You didn't tie him up? He doesn't like being tied. Foylon limped over and unleashed the tangled reins. He vaulted onto his mare and looked around. I think I see something white over there. He returned, some time later, leading the pony. Hobie was unperturbed, but both Foylon and his mare were restless and jumpy. Mount up, he said. There's something in the wind, I don't know what. They set off down the road at a steady trot. Foylon looked over his shoulder. There are she on the road behind us, took on riders. He urged his mare into a gallop. Hobie thundered after, enthusiastically at first, but his legs were short and his escapade had tired him. Ronan held firmly to the mane and tried to think. Foylon, he had begun to suspect, was not much of a strategist. He was reactive, he didn't think things through. The Togon horses must have ridden through the night. Foylon's mare was fast and well-rested. She would be able to outrun them, but Hobie could not. He wasn't even going to be able to keep up for long. Ronan glanced back. The Togon riders were gaining on them. There were three of them, well-mounted and almost certainly armed. There was no point in trying to fight. Ronan knew that he couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag, and although Foylon had his hunting bow, he wasn't a trained fighter. Not like his brothers. That's what we need, Ronan thought. The brothers. Wait. It took a while for Foylon to understand what Ronan wanted, but eventually he reined in his mare. She frothed at the mouth and danced, wanting to run. Hobie was dripping with sweat and his flanks were heaving. We can't outrun them, Ronan said. Not together. There's no point in trying. If they catch you, they'll kill you, but they're not going to hurt me. I'm going to wait here and let them catch me. You ride on and meet your brothers, then you can come back for me. Foylon didn't like the plan in the slightest, but couldn't think of a better alternative. Trust me, Ronan said. There isn't anything else that's going to work. Foylon leant down and caressed Ronan's face. I will come for you, he said. I know, Ronan said. Ride fast. Foylon's mare wheeled and galloped. Ronan watched until they cleared the headland, then turned his tired pony and trotted slowly down the hill to meet his captors. (laughs) 